the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. July 6, 2021. Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri wrote yesterday, quote, When they say that the 4th of July is about American freedom, remember this. The freedom they're referring to is for white people. Bush, a member of the left-wing squad, wrote this as well yesterday, quote, This land is stolen land, and black people still aren't free. We know what our own freedom looks like. End the slavery permitted under the 13th Amendment. End the war on drugs. End police violence. End health care, housing, and education apartheid. We are the experts on our own liberation, and we won't stop until it's won. Close quote. To say slavery is not permitted under the 13th Amendment would be to state something so obvious one has to ask if Cori Bush is literate. We know she is. Uh, she, a black woman who grew up poor in St. Louis, lived in her car at one point, only to become a registered and practicing nurse, a minister of her own church, and a member of Congress, quite well for the oppressed, for those of you in Missouri, Bush's writing about white people's freedom, your freedom, the slavery that is still permitted, I hope you know you're being lectured by a liar or a psychological headcase who can see her and all life experience around her and simply deny it, as if she truly thinks she's Napoleon. What she said is as truthful, if not as literally crazy as that. We went through this two years ago when Colin Kaepernick tried to selectively quote Frederick Douglass on the 4th of July and missed because he so selectively edited Douglass. You have to wonder why anyone would take history lessons or instruction from these ideological and Marxist know-nothings in the first place. Distortion is their first rule of pedagogy. You'll recall Kaepernick tried to show how Frederick Douglass thought our country racist, our founding bigoted. And he selectively quoted him, but he didn't quote all of Douglas in the same speech he wrote for us all. For example, Kaepernick left out, as a lot of study guides and websites, interestingly enough, will leave out, where Frederick Douglass wrote this, said this in his same famed speech. Quote, fellow citizens, there is no matter in respect to which the people of the North have allowed themselves to be so ruinously imposed upon as that of the pro-slavery character of the Constitution. In that instrument I hold, there is neither warrant, license, nor sanction for the hateful thing, but interpreted as it ought to be interpreted, the Constitution is a glorious liberty document. Read its preamble. Consider its purposes. Is slavery among them? Is it at the gateway or is it in the temple? It is not. 
Well, I do not intend to argue this question on the present occasion, let me ask if it be not somewhat singular that if the Constitution were intended to be by its framers and adopters a slaveholding instrument, why neither slavery, slaveholding, nor slave can anywhere be found in it? What would be thought of an, of an instrument drawn up, legally drawn up, for the purpose of entitling the city of Rochester to a tract of land in which no mention of the land was made? Now, there are certain rules of interpretation for the proper understanding of legal documents. These rules are well established. They are plain, common-sense rules, such as you and I and all of us can understand and apply without having passed years in the study of law. I scout the idea that the question of the constitutionality or unconstitutionality of slavery is not a question for the people. I hold that every American citizen has a right to form an opinion of the Constitution and to propagate that opinion and to use all honorable means to make his opinion the prevailing one. Without his right, the liberty of the American citizen would be as, as insecure as that of a Frenchman. Ex-Vice President Dallas tells us that the Constitution is an object to which no American mind can be too attentive and no American heart too devoted. He further says the Constitution, in its words, is plain and intelligible and is meant for the homebred, unsophisticated understanding of our fellow citizens. Now take the Constitution according to its plain reading, and I defy the pre presentation of a single pro-slavery clause in it. On the other hand, it will be found to contain principles and purposes entirely hostile to the existence of slavery. Close quote. Now you see why I say the progressives today embrace the opponents of Frederick Douglass's view of the Constitution. They think the founding was meant to extend slavery. Frederick Douglass didn't. I get that there's a desire in the left and the Democratic Party to rewrite our past, but it doesn't mean they are right. The only way they get to rewrite it is by distorting it. And the best way to distort it is to tell people not to look at it, not to study it, not to do their own research. Thus, I give you the state of American history education in our country today. Our eighth graders have done steadily worse in American history over the past two decades, today resulting in some 40% getting an F in American history. And the more one stays in school, the dumber they get with respect to American history, because I think the stat most important is that 50% of our high school seniors fail in American history. Because if you do study it seriously and not via the work of ideologues like Howard Zinn or the BLM curricula or CRT, you find it to be a beautiful thing, as Frederick Douglass did, as Martin Luther King did, as Lincoln did, as the dissenters in the Dred Scott decision did. Remember, as I will not tire of saying, those who think our founding racist or rotten embrace the history of America as respite recited by the majority in the Dred Scott decision. We embrace dissenting Justices Curtis and McLean, who had a better history in their opinions that showed our founders included all men, all colors in our declaration and our founding. I'm proud to stand with Frederick Douglass and on the 4th of July and for our national anthem, even if certain elected congressmen and athletes are not. But this notion of America as racist from the get-go, revived as it has been by the modern Democratic Party and the BLM movement, the likes of Cory Bush, is not new. As I said, it found credence in Dred Scott. It found credence in the Confederacy. It was quiet for a while, but given great attention back in 2007 and 2008, you might recall the name Jeremiah Wright, Barack Obama's pastor. 
he of nine eleven being the chickens coming home to roost. He of no, 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 not God bless America, GD America, that's in the Bible, for killing innocent people, GD America, for creating her citizens as less than home human, GD America, for as long as she acts like she is God and she is supreme, GD America. Oh, guess what now? Wright's teacher, Jeremiah Wright's teacher, and Ibram X. Kendi's teacher are the same. James Cone, inventor of black liberation theology in America. It's not that such teachings influenced Wright and thus Barack Obama. It's that they are now being entrenched into the U.S. Department of Education because they have not been answered and only grow stronger. So you get the name, the same anti-Americanism today from Louis Farrakhan and Colin Kaepernick and Gwen Berry and Ibram Kendi in the U.S. Department of Education and the U.S. Women's Olympic Soccer Team. But back when Jeremiah Wright was in the news, my old teacher Harry Jaffa wrote a response to him, and I think we could use it again today. The principles upon which this nation were founded are those upon which its survival no less than its prosperity depend. These are the principles upon which we believe our freedom and prosperity as individuals and that of our children depend. These principles are simple and familiar enough for anyone to understand who wishes to understand. Selfish motives, miseducation, or ideological blindness may lead some to deny or disparage them, but nothing can obscure their shining truth. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Linking at Gettysburg said the nation at its birth had been dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Earlier, Lincoln had said that the proposition of equality was the central idea of the founding for which all minor thoughts emanated, from which all minor thoughts emanated. What exactly do these words, both of the Declaration of Independence and the Gettysburg Address, mean? They meant that there was no difference between one human being and another human being that made one the master and the other the servant. As Jefferson once put it, some men are not born with saddles on their backs, nor are others born booted and spurred to ride them. That a man or woman rides a horse corresponds with the difference in their natures. No injustice is being done to the horse. That an ox should pull a plow while a man walks behind is according to nature. In these cases, servitude follows from the laws of nature. But the same laws of nature tell us that when a human being is subjected to another human being as if he were a horse or an ox, the laws of nature are being violated. All human beings are accordingly equal in their right not to be enslaved and in their right to be in secure possession of their lives, liberties, and property. To this end, they have a right to be governed only by the laws to which they have consented. Cori Bush knows none of this. Otherwise, she would love the 4th of July. That all men are created equal does not mean, of course, that human beings are the same or equal in size, strength, beauty, virtue, intelligence. There are obviously great differences in individual aptitudes and talents and sports, music, math, speaking, writing, you name it. They are also unequal in the virtues, among them courage or temperance or justice. But as Jefferson once said, the fact that Sir Isaac Newton may be the most intelligent of living human beings does not give him any right whatever to my person or my property. 
If there is no natural authority of any human being over any other, leaving aside the temporary authority of parents over children, how does lawful authority arise? In the words of the Massachusetts Constitution of 1780, quote, the body politic is formed by a voluntary association of individuals. It is a social compact by which the whole people covenants with each citizen and each citizen with the whole people that all shall be governed by certain laws for the common good, close quote. It cannot be too greatly emphasized that the political community is a voluntary association. In obeying the law, we are obeying ourselves. In obeying the law, we seek to provide a greater security for the white rights which we have from God and nature, but which rights we cannot provide for by ourselves alone. Thus, the just powers of government arise for no other purpose than the protection of those rights which are antecedent to government. Governments exist to protect these rights. The rights themselves do not come from government. In the protection of these rights, no citizen is entitled to greater or to less protection than any other. Here is the original meaning of the equal protection of the laws. No one is entitled to greater protection than any of his fellow citizens because of his wealth, birth, intelligence, you name it, nor is anyone entitled to exemption from taxation or from service in common defense because of any claim of superior personal worth. The Declaration of the Causes and Necessities of Taking Up Arms, written on this day in 1775, was the very first occasion for the American people to speak to the world with a single voice. In its first sentence, the Second Continental Congress affirmed without equivocation that the idea of the ownership of some human beings by other human beings was an utter absurdity and that to think otherwise was incompatible with reason and revelation. Thus, from the outset, even a year before the Declaration of Independence, the American people were committed to the anti-slavery cause and to the inseparability of personal freedom and free government. The American people knew from the outset that the cause of their own freedom and that of the slaves was inseparable. This would become the message that Abraham Lincoln would bring to the American people and to the world for all time. In the decade from the Declaration of the Constitution, every state north of the Mason-Dixon line and north of the Ohio River either abolished slavery or adopted measures leading to abolition. Yet in 1793, the cotton gin was invented, shortly after the power loom. This was the onset of the Industrial Revolution. Almost overnight, a new industry, or rather a series of new industries, proliferated. It began with the growing of cotton, but was followed by its manufacture into a wide variety of products, from cloth and clothing. From cloth to clothing. Suddenly, slave labor became vastly more profitable. In the decade before the Civil War, the value of slaves doubled. Once again, greed overwhelmed all other motives. From being regarded as a temporary evil, as it was at the founding, Slavery came to be regarded as a positive and permanent good in too much of the country. This changed attitude toward slavery was, however, part of a changed attitude toward morality in general that was sweeping over Western civilization. This change was marked by the, the apotheosis of change itself. What had heretofore been regarded as moral absolutes came to be regarded as merely relative to a particular time and place, to history capital H, or Progress, capital P, with no enduring claim upon our conscience. Lincoln praised Jefferson for embodying in the Declaration an abstract truth applicable to all men for all times. 
But the idea of such truth and of the correlation of such truth with justice was increasingly repudiated by the most educated minds in the Western world. But if history or progress or change is to be our guide, if the truth of relativism is to replace the truth of the Declaration, then the cause for which this nation fought at its birth and in the Civil War had to be meaningless. White power, black power, the Nazis, the KKK, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, they're as justifiable as Jefferson, Lincoln, or the doctrine of equal natural rights for all human beings if there's no standard of right and wrong. Or as Pelosi put it, people will do what people will do. There's no right or wrong behavior. We may understand how the Reverend Jeremiah Wright could so awfully misunderstand the American political tradition as we can understand his successors in Ilan Omar and Colin Kaepernick and Cory Bush. And as much as it has been so very misunderstood for so long in circles from whom a better understanding should be expected, the Congress of the United States, for goodness sakes. But this misunderstanding is a cancer which can, in the end, prove fatal, not only to a political campaign, but to our country. If we are to have a foundation upon which to continue to build a more perfect union, we must return unequivocally, as Lincoln returned, to the source of our greatness in the American founding. Someone ought to teach Cory Bush an awful lot, awfully quickly, or the party of the Democrats ought to expel her for misrepresenting what they say they believe about America, which is deep patriotism. One of the two, they can't have both, and we can't maintain her. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I sure hope you all had a great holiday. It's, uh, yes, it is my favorite uh, holiday. What are you signaling me for? Well, do you think you're this isn't the NBA? I don't need a two minute warning. Do they still do that? I wouldn't know. You don't watch NBA anymore, do you? Well, we'll be cheering for the Suns here on this side of the glass tonight. Uh, I have to say that. And we'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Proud of your nation's teachers union? The NEA? See what they're doing? Okay. Let me read you a resolution the nation's largest teacher union is considering right now. The NEA will provide, quote, an already created in-depth study that critiques empire, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti <coughs> words I haven't used before, anti-indigeneity, racism, patriarchy, here's a word I've never used. Who even knew this existed? Cis-heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, anthropocentrism, and other forms of power and oppression at the intersections of society. Homeschoolers take no- – homeschooling is legal and – you know what? I have a lot more to say about this. But I'm going to tell you this right now. New York, Vermont, Rhode Island, three states with the hardest homeschooling laws, hardest to homeschool your children in those three states – the lowest per pupil spending in those three states is Rhode Island at $15,000. New York, it's 24000 in the public school. You give a parent half that money, he'll homeschool his child better than the public school system. I guarantee it. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski gives us our culture and economy update every day at 3.34. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. And he has a radio show here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, I hope you had a good uh, elongated weekend and uh, you're looking forward to the Suns game tonight. I did, and patriotism is alive, which is great. Yep. Out there, I was up in Prescott. They did have their parade, which was fantastic. And uh, lots of people up in Prescott out there uh, just enjoying the weekend and... uh, Hope you had a great time as well. I'm going to say something controversial, but Prescott is probably the most patriotic part of Arizona. Uh, it's very patriotic. I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I welcome calls if anyone wants to challenge it because, yeah. John, if anyone does challenge it, uh-huh. here's what you, lets you and I do. This will be fun. If anyone challenges it and it gets more than one vote, you and I got to do a road trip to that place. Well, I'll be happy to do it. I'm yeah. up there almost every week, and uh, you know, my wife has an antique store up there. Yeah, and I'm throwing a little out shout out to her, Liberty Lane up there, and we have a ton of patriotic goods in there, flags and all sorts of fun patriotic items. And that is the biggest selling sector of her market up there. Give the store name again. Liberty Lane. And where is it? Downtown, right across the street from the uh, courthouse. Fabulous. Right across from the courthouse where Barry Goldwater announced his campaign for the presidency. There you go. Is Liberty Lane one of the best stores in Prescott. Mm -hmm. All right, J.D., talk to me about the economy. Here's an interesting story, kind of, sort of, I think. Capital spending surge further lifts economic recovery. What's the capital. Is this manufacturing stuff? Well, manufacturing is part of it, yes. And of course, anything in manufacturing is very um, capital expense, you know, constantly uh, buying, you know, uh, things that they need to manufacture whatever the items are. Um, But they're talking in general, companies in general, businesses are investing um, in, in capital items. So to grow their business, not just employees, but you know, they're investing in computer systems. And uh, right now, one of the big things, too, Seth, and I don't know if you've heard over the weekend, there was, a, again, another number of cyber attacks yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people are investing to protect their uh, information. And uh, it's it's been really a, a boost we're seeing right now. And, and this is the big part of it, non-residential fixed investments. So and not talking about residential. NRFI. Yes. Tell me what NRFI is. Non-residential fixed investment. Now, these are businesses spending not uh, for their own business, uh-huh. not on residential uh, okay. items. Okay. And okay. Rose, they call it to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 11.7% in the first quarter. And what is important here is, is that we only have, you know, we look back at different recessions and different uh, economic uh, you know, situations that occurred in the past. And what's the most recent that we have to compare to COVID is uh, back in 2007 and eight when we had the economic crisis back then. And we're seeing that this uh, resurgence of growth is far outpacing uh, what happened back then, which is a positive, which means we're coming out of this a lot quicker. And I think part of that, Seth, is is because um, we had the government really stepping up and supporting uh, these businesses who are in dire need with the with the uh, payroll protection program that they put in place, and they had the second one as well, uh, and it allowed uh, people to uh, have the money to keep their businesses, uh, even though they weren't necessarily operating, but they could keep their businesses afloat and pay the bills. Uh, also, you have, of course, the payments for unemployment benefits to the people who were laid off. All of these things helped at least businesses continue to stick around even if they were running at a much lower volume 
to be able to now begin ramping up and uh, start getting into the full swing of things again. It dawns on me, too, a little bit, John, uh, in distinction from what took place in 2007-8, that if you were a business owner in dire straits over the last two years, or if you were you know, an employee, for that matter, who was, uh, let's say, furloughed or, or couldn't go to work, you kind of understood what the mechanics of this were. You understood why it happened, and you kind of knew what the benchmarks were for it ending, right. which is not the case of the complex systems that were involved of uh, all the terminology we had to learn in 0708, right? right? Yeah. That was a highly technical series of problems that I don't think most people could understand. This one was a politically or policy-driven yeah. thing that I do think people can understand. Well, I think that makes a little difference. And think of the value of the stock market, yep. the value of real estate back then that collapsed. Yeah, that yeah. did not happen. That's true. During this. That's so true. Big, actually, people made money if they had investments. That's interesting. So that is a key factor here, and I think, Seth, that's what's going to drive this moving forward. If folks need help with any of their finances, please reach out to me, grandcanyonplanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finra and Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. You did that well. So let me make sure you understand what I was saying, though, yes. John. If anyone counters that there's a more patriotic place than Prescott, Yes. On this show over the next two and a half hours. Yep. And if a second vote comes in, you and I are going to that city to judge it. We'll do it. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. We'll yeah. do it. And then we'll compare and contrast with Prescott. Sounds good. We'll bring our cell phones. We'll take pictures. Perfect. See you, John. <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, parts of which are brought to you by my friends at Trades Unlimited for all your roofing needs. Right now, they want me to tell you how good a time it is to think about recoating your home if you have foam roofing. Foam roofs are great to insulate your home from heat and noise and, most importantly, water leaks. And they have a great deal working right now over at Trades Unlimited because the hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats. Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. I've come to know it. I've used them. I've met them. I've been down to their warehouse and offices. These are good people. That's why they have an A-plus rating with the BBB for all your roofing needs. New, repair, recoat. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775. That's 480-483-1775. Or find them online at tradesunlimited.com, tradesunlimited.com for all your roofing needs. Rachel Nichols will not be announcing tonight at the NBA um, at the NBA uh, playoffs. And I guess that um, I have a hard time, frankly, um, defending her. Usually, I, um, I, I I will defend against the cancel culture, uh, but I have a hard time doing it when the Leviathan eats its own tail. Uh, can a Leviathan eat its own tail? Does a Leviathan have a tail? When the dragon eats its own tail, please tell me what a Le- what a Leviathan does. It have a tail. A little help, folks. No looking at me. No looking at me. I don't have the answer. I've got – it's all right. I think I'm right. I don't I, – I, I just – I'm not going to support the uh, opposition to the cancel culture when these leftists are hoist on their own petard. And she said something really dumb anyway. 
I just don't know what kind of a brain surgeon we're dealing with who in this time and place says something as dumb about an African-American colleague as what she said, which was basically she got the job over me because of diversity. Who says that kind of thing right now that has an IQ above 90? Honestly, it's just really hard to be upset for her. One of the wokest of the woke getting canceled. This is what happens, folks. You support this tyranny. This tyranny doesn't care about whether you support it or not. It will come to eat you. A quick note on the most patriotic city in Arizona. uh, I'm getting a couple other pieces of input that Prescott may be one of them, but we have to consider Lake Havasu City per Charles and Yuma gets a rating from one of my listeners. Now, I haven't been to Lake Havasu City in forever. Prescott, uh, probably a few years. So um, I'm happy to do that. If Yuma wins by our listeners' um, voting or listeners' recommendation as the most patriotic city in Arizona, I'm just going to say I already went, which I did a month ago. I'm going to let that count for my trip. But if it's Lake Havasu City or Prescott, Prescott, I'm going with John Dombrowski. If there's another city, we'll consider it. Speaking of cities, Bill, you had an interesting moral question that involved, I don't know, friends, friends of the family, something like that. What happened here? You said you had a moral query for me. The in-laws are moving pretty far away. Who are? At what point... Does it become – how did I word it? Does it become buffer or at what point are you still expected to travel there every weekend? Who, who's moving? My in-laws. They're moving. They're moving. How far away are they moving? About 30 miles, 30 minutes. And how far away are they presently? 15. So they're doubling the distance. Yeah. And you have a required or requisite – visitation with them once a week or something yeah and i think it's expected to continue though they're the ones moving yes do you have to do it is the question yeah i think me too is there a limit at which you don't have to do it if they moved 40 minutes away yeah well i'm curious what the time is where you cross that rubicon to not be expected yeah if it's an hour drive but i'm gonna guess that your in-laws did this they probably moved farther away But I'm guessing they told you or promoted the idea that it wasn't that far away. Oh, it's really quick off the 51. People do that all the time. They'll move to Havasu City and say, oh, it's really quick off the 51. Bingo. Yeah. Right? Does this happen? Oh, yes, it happened. And and yet you know it's a good 30 minutes away. Yep. To the exit. I timed it. I I was driving in that way, but further. And that's without traffic. Right. Yeah. It was a Saturday morning. Yeah. Well, I think you I you know, this is this is the difference between marriage. Someone once said this is the difference between marriage and uh cohabitation. Um the the notion of marriage requires this of people. Your families become one. Cohabitation um a situation like this will lead to uh my guess is uh if they don't move for the next 10 years and you don't move for the next 10 years and you're cohabiting and not married, this will lead to 20 fights. Best guess. Best Over guess. Under 20 but fights. not, not 20 appearances of both children or the child and the, in-law and, the, and, the, and, the, and the son-in-law. The son-in-law will not go 20 times. A married 
if he's married. Uh, if he's married, the son-in-law will go 20 times. If it's a cohabitating man, he won't. There's a good difference. That's there. the difference. Sharp relief. That's the difference in sharp relief. Okay. Uh, what I was talking about earlier that I think does have serious implications is the NEA's new resolution. Let me read it again uh, in case um, – in case you missed it, the NEA is the nation's largest teachers union. They have a resolution that reads, quote, that the NEA will provide an already created in-depth study that critiques empire, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, racism, patriarchy, cis-heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, anthropocentrism, and other forms of power and oppression at the intersections of our society it continues to say the NEA plans to quote publicly convey its support for the accurate and honest teaching of social studies topics including truthful and age appropriate accounting unpleasant aspects of American history such as slavery and the oppression and discrimination of indigenous black brown and other peoples of color as well as the continued impact this history has had on our current society what have they been up to until now have they not been teaching have they not been teaching about racism and patriarchy? Of course they had. How do I know that? Because I had that when I was but a wee little elementary school student in the evil 70s and 80s, antediluvian 70s and 80s, before critical race theory was invented. Lo and behold, I learned a lot about slavery. Was glad to. I learned a lot about internment camps. Was glad to. I learned a lot about what we did to the Asians, particularly the Chinese and Japanese, of course. I was glad to. Learned a lot about all of it, all before CRT. I'll tell you what I didn't learn about. This is true. I did not learn about cis-heteropatriarchy. That is true. And for that, I'm guessing I have a huge lacuna in my educational upbringing, so much so that I may have to sue the schools I went to for providing an inadequate education. I'm, of course, kidding, but this is what education has become, and I think it's important that we start thinking about homeschooling. In New York, you spend $25,000 per pupil. Give me half that or a quarter of that, and we'll homeschool your child for smarter and better. To have the NEA uh, teach your students in New York, Vermont, or Rhode Island in their public schools which are the three states least friendly to homeschooling, we are paying, we are spending between fifteen and $25,000 a year. I submit that for half to a quarter of that price, you could homeschool that child better. I hope homeschooling takes off like a rocket ship after the NEA's behavior over the last year and a half, and particularly with this latest Resolution. Remember when parents used to say, well, it's been an awful long time since I opened up my math book or a science book and I was helping my son or daughter with their homework and I just couldn't understand it anymore. Well, yeah, right? Now try giving them and seeing what they know about anti-indigeneity and cis-heteropatriarchy and anthropocentrism and see what parents think of that. Aren't you glad your public school teachers are involved in that? This is why 40% of our 8th graders and 50% of our high school students get an F in American history because it's more important that they learn about cis-heteropatriarchy.
which it, of course, is not. Do you ever get the sense that the left is engaged in everything that's not important to a fairly well? What are they doing about crime in America right now other than electing further and voting for further and further progressive policies in our urban centers? How am I on time? I have a minute. Um, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, whom I will remind nine women of his own party have accused of sexual harassment and both his United States senators, Schumer and Gillibrand, have called on him to resign. Story that's dead except here. The governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, that governor, has announced that gun violence is the new health crisis in New York. More people died from guns over the weekend in New York than from COVID. 26 people shot, more than 100 shot in Chicago. These are progressive cities through and through. There's not a conservative to be found in municipal governance in Chicago. I don't know if there's a conservative to be found in the governor's office in Illinois. Probably not. That's Ho- uh, Hobie Pritzker's uh, domain. There's not a conservative to be found in Albany or in the New York or in New York City's management. And by the way, as we talk about more gun laws, let me tell you right now, those 26 shot in New York and those more than 100 shot in Chicago, I'm going to tell you right now, the vast majority, if not the exclusive full complement of those, was with guns that were in illegal possession. So pass more laws to do nothing.